one. And we are recording. Even though Zoom says pleb media, you will notice that this is indeed not Don the pleb. This uh this man's far too good looking to be Don the pleb. This is uh my buddy John Clark, who I met through Don, and you could almost say that it's retarded for me to have him on. Because the first time we hung out, I got a concussion. The second time we hung out, I ended up in the ER. So logic would say I should probably stop hanging out with you because I always end up with head injuries or in a hospital. Technically, we only hung out the second time because you needed to go to the hospital. Point still stands. But uh, so just to get to it. So uh, before... Uh, I fell into a hole and it was covered in blood and thought I was going to die. And you guys were like, you're such a pussy. You and I were talking about, we, uh, you guys were doing, uh, I guess some carpentry or construction at a mutual friend of ours. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we were, uh, we were getting gradually shit faced and you were telling me that you would, that you had, you had done this and you had done that. And I thought you were just kind of fucking with me. I was like, no, you didn't. And right. Because you're you're a marine, and I was like, you didn't fucking do this. Like a, as you and Don say, we're here to break things and kill people. Like you know, <laughs> and it's like this beautiful handiwork. And you and I got talking, and um, and I've told the story several times to people, and they've all said this needs to be a podcast, so that's why we're doing it. And uh, through a rather in depth conversation, you know, an emotional one, you had told me that you had done enough destroying and killing in your life, and that when when you came back, you wanted to create. And to me, in its most simplistic form, that was one of the most, you know, I've done 860 plus episodes. That was one of the most beautiful conversations I had had. And it was just you and me in like a messy kitchen before or after I ordered like 90 tacos. <laughs> and we then you got whatever I drank the, what was the Taco Bell drink I had for the first time? Oh, Baja Blast. Yeah, I had Baja Blast for the first time. I don't know if that, again, before or after the concussion. And then the next morning when that guy came up, and I just covered him blood, walked up and was like, you want a taco? He's like, no, nah, man. It's <laughs> like, cool. And, uh, but uh, yeah, man. So with that, I'm going to kind of hand it over to you and uh, I'll prod you and guide you along the way. But I don't know, introduce yourself, talk about your service. And then, but really describing your words, everything i just said all right um my name is john clark i uh served in the united states marine corps from 2007 to 2011 i did uh two deployments one to fallujah iraq and the second one to marja and nowzad afghanistan um i got out of the marine corps because i didn't i didn't enjoy the way people looked at me when i would show up in a professional context uh, you know, as a Marine, I was, uh, you know, at the time I was not as fat as I am now, um, much better shape. So if I showed up at your door in a professional context, you were definitely going to have a bad day. The look on somebody's face when somebody like me shows up at the door is never a happy one. They're never happy to see you. Nobody wants you around. Everybody's afraid of you. And it, you know, it gets, to be kind of lonely when the only people that you can really commiserate with are uh, other Marines. And there's so few that, you know, the likelihood of you finding somebody at a bar or something just randomly that totally, you know, gets you uh, pretty low, 
And then, of course, you know, somebody wants to do they want you to talk shop like you can't talk shop because nobody wants to talk about what you do for a living because it's gross. You know, nobody's uh, it's not an entertaining thing to talk about at the bar when everybody's trying to have a good time. Uh, and, you know, little by little over my time in service, I was starting to kind of realize these social nuances and then kind of start to take a more uh, internal look at the type of man that I was becoming, the type of man I was building myself into. Uh, and one day I just said, you know what, man, this isn't for you. Uh, you're not the type of dude that can do this kind of stuff and be looked at this way for 20 years. So you need to go and, uh, you know, do something good with your life, not just, you know, go have fun or something like that. Cause I was very fortunate to actually be able to come home with all my fingers and toes still working and stuff. Uh, so I, I got a little bit of a taste in the construction industry, uh, you know, while I was in my first year of college and the reception I got when I would show up at a job site, uh, you know, of course, me only being 22, the only uh, like uh, the only way I could understand what I was walking into is like, okay, well, this is my new battlefield. Yeah. You know, this is my new area of operation. I have, you know, different responsibilities, but the command structure is still there. The, you know, dynamic from top to bottom is still, you know, uh, understandable to me. And the really the only difference was the reception I got from the people that we were there to service. Um, I was there to make your life better. Uh, when I leave, pack up all my tools and go home, whatever it is that I was working on is going to be far better than it was, you know, when I got there and my mark will be left on this earth. You know, when my career is all said and done, uh, the mark that I left on this earth won't be a bunch of bomb craters. It'll be a bunch of structures that people can raise their children in, uh, you know, places that will provide people shelter from the weather, um, you know, just things that will bring general joy in people's lives. And the joy that they get to feel is the joy that, you know, I felt while I was making it. And it's, um, uh, oh, sorry, I'm getting a little, <laughs> getting a little misty eyed. No, um, no, keep going. It's, uh, it's cool to like drive in, like I worked in the district of Columbia doing uh, high rise construction for three years as a uh, structural surveyor. The building behind me uh, was the famous Apollo theater in Washington, DC. And I got to do all the structural surveys for it. And uh, you know, all the wall, all the perimeter wall lines and stuff like that. It was uh, now there, there's a thousand units in there. There's a thousand families that are living in luxury now. And um you know, when I drive around in Washington, D.C. after only three years, you know, I can only imagine what it's like for some of the superintendents and stuff that I worked with that have been doing it for 20. You know, I walk around. And I'm like, well, I built that building. I built this building. I, you know, did that cityscape over there. I did that drainage structure there. And uh, you can go into every quadrant of the city and, you know, feel what I want to put back into the world, the, the beauty and the love instead of the hate and discontent. I'm still a rifleman. That was my first profession. It will always be my first profession, but um, it was important to me for me not to be one dimensional. Uh, 
I uh, read a lot of like Bushido type writings where those, you know, those guys are like, you know, uh, reading poetry and being in tune with your emotions is just as important as being able to be successful on the battlefield. Absolutely. Because I feel that if you're only good at one thing, then you're one dimensional and you're going to have trouble uh, getting along. If you travel around, you know, even in the county you live in, you just travel around and meet a bunch of different kinds of people. If you only know, you know, about one thing, then, you know, you're, uh, you're in kind of bad shape. And the one thing that I originally chose was so extreme that for that to be my one thing was, uh, I, in my, for me, at least, uh, detrimental to my, uh, you know, formation, my like finding my manhood or finding my place in the world. And, uh, these kind of trying to think how to put it, the, the effort that I put into doing something correctly, uh, is me saying thank you to whatever for letting me still be here. There are tons of dudes that, you know, can't use their bodies. They did the same job as me. They can't use their bodies anymore. I can still use my body. I'm so lucky to, you know, be here and be able to do the things that I do that there's really no point in not going for the gusto, so to speak, like not trying to reach for that top shelf so that you can be on that top shelf. Absolutely. And that was uh, long and short, I guess, the, the, the gist of my philosophical transformation from a Marine into somebody that can play softball with somebody and they'll never know I was in the military. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, eventually it'll come out when you say, get some, Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a dead get giveaway when you hand and don a gun and you go, get some devil dog. <laughs> no, it's like it's that's it, it's written on your face. I can't get I can't help that. Yeah, yeah that, that one's just but you don't want to lose that. But because I remember having this conversation and it's uh you know, I've over the years, not just from the podcast, but including the podcast, I've been, you know, gone got shit faced with buddies who went and deployed and I mean, it can it those conversations can go off go off the rails as I'm sure most people are aware of, right? I mean, and I, I think probably be, as we can see with the podcast, I kind of have an ability to just talk to people, so I've never minded those. I've never never minded how dark they've gotten. Um, but with you, it was I remember that's what that's what surprised me so much is because you and I were just getting shit. I think we were standing like in the rain. We we're just getting shit faced, and. uh and you you said you started to say like you know when you go to DC, and I thought I thought you were gonna say something like along the lines of what I had heard in conversations before, like you know you're gonna the, the like those bloods are red the blood those roads are blood red with my uh, those roads are red with the blood of my brothers like you don't understand like and I always get that and I and I'll kind of be a punching bag because I don't under get I don't understand it, but I remember you looked at me and you're like if you ever go to DC and you look at that skyline. And I was expecting like, here's the part of the conversation where you may, maybe you break down because this is, this is what's happened over. I've had friends that served in Iraq it, it, 10 years ago at Valdosta state doing a, uh, Ochem lab with my buddy, Ben, he was 10 years older than me. We'd be on a Saturday morning. And all of a sudden he'd snap and he'd start talking about some shit about like an artillery gone wrong. So I get it. All of that to say, you go, you look, you go there, you go to that city. You cannot, you cannot turn your head without seeing my love. And I remember that is just what 
like a lightning rod, like went right through me. And it wasn't, it wasn't the stereotypical kind of drunk rant, if you will, of a veteran. It was you going, which, and I have nothing wrong with the drunk rants of the veteran, but what stuck out to me so much is it almost was like the Dale, like the Dale Gusto. I'm going to shoot you in the fucking face. But with like delivering like a Mr. Rogers message, you, you know, you kind of like, look at me, motherfucker. Like I will bring love to your town. Yeah. <laughs> you, you will be happy. I was you there. Will, you will was, feel my love. Gosh, it, darn it. It, it. it was such like this weird, like speedball of like heroin and meth. <laughs> like, you know, we're drunk. We're fucking, you know, you're, you're telling me you've, you've got, and you're like, I will, I will come to your town. I will kick down your doors. And I will make sure that your cabinets are beautiful. Like, and it was just this. It was one of the most insane experiences I've had. And again, this is, and I think I remember telling you as, as that's probably said in much more butchered English. John, you're going to come on my podcast. This is before yeah. or after I fell in a hole and cracked my skull open. But that is something that stuck out to me so much was just that refusal to either implode which we see, right, 22 veterans a day, mm-hmm. which, again, I mean, I lost a brother to suicide. He wasn't a veteran. I, I don't, when I say implode, I don't say that in a sign of weakness. I say it is, like, probably what happened. If I was a veteran, I would imagine I would be one of those. Uh, you explode, either, you know, domestic abuse or, God forbid, you know, like a massacre. Right. right. Or you kind of just... You don't implode or explode, but you maybe hobble off into the sunset and no one hears from you again and you kind of drink yourself into a hole. That's in my limited 31 years on this earth. That's kind of like my very broad strokes generalizations of like the veteran friends. Or fourth type, you're Dale and you're just still going at like 60. But Dale's not Dale's not normal. Dale's not a normal human. He was built in a lab by the CIA. We all accept that. They had they had the technology. They had the, they had, they asked themselves if they could, not not if they should, and they created Dale. But what I love is that yours was much different. You were like, I can create, and I'm going to be the best fucking creator I can. Is mm-hmm. used to say that. You said, you know, when I showed up, and you're like, and it feels good. It feels good to do what you like when you're good. And you're like, it felt good when I was a marine. You do your job good. You show the fuck up and no one's ever, no one's going to question you. You're the big right. dick in town. Mm-hmm. Every like time. you said, yeah, like you said, I mean, you go in there, no one's going to fuck with you. Who the fuck do you think you are? Like, I get that with my podcast. You step into my podcast. I'm like, this is my arena. Like, I will, right. I'm going to, I'm going to own you. You, mm-hmm. you get that. But it, like you said, when you show up in your professional capacity, which is the most beautiful euphemism, you do get good at it. You're young. You're in charge. Fuck. Yeah. Hoorah. But after a while, you start to look at the people who you're showing up to with your professional capacity. And yes, although there are some bad guys that you just got to blow away, mm-hmm. you're like, man, how many, like how many women or kids can you see that are just terrified before you're like, like, I'm not Santa Claus. Like, what am I bringing to this world? I had, so I had like a, like an aha moment. I was in uh, a little village, uh, not too far away from the fire base that we were that we were presently on, uh, doing a security patrol and like a um, 
uh, it's like a civil affairs patrol. We had a civil affairs guy with us. The chaplain was with us and we were, you know, going around asking general questions about their health and status of educational opportunities for children. Do they need water? Shit like that. And uh, we broke off where it was one squad. So we broke off and we had to clear these compounds out as we went through to make sure that it was really just the the people that we knew, like the farmers and the the non-combatants, we had to make sure that, you know, nobody was fucking around in there doing weird stuff. And uh, I remember I went down this alleyway and when you walk down an alleyway that is made so by like a two foot thick mud wall, it's like sitting in a, like a, like a sound booth, you know, like you, you can hear yourself breathing and stuff. And if, you know, if you're, yeah. If you yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. So but you're outside and you're working and you're, you know, in a kinetic situation where legit somebody right could be right around the corner. So all that stuff was going on and I came around the corner and there's the most beautiful hands down most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my entire life is standing there like holding a basket of laundry. Her face thing is off cuz she's inside of her compound. And she's got the most emerald green eyes I've ever seen in my whole life. To this day, I still haven't seen a woman that, that tops this lady. And the look of fear and pity that came across her face when she saw me just broke my heart. Jesus. Like, I've been beat up. I've been hazed. I got put through everything, you know, regular Marines get put through to make you quit. And none of that stuff made me want to quit more than the, the look of just fear and pity. It's like she was looking at a rabid dog. That's like, oh, you poor thing, but stay away from me because you'll kill me. And it. Uh, Jesus. It was basically it was basically right there. Where I was like, this isn't the only thing I ever want out of my life. And this isn't what I want to be remembered for um i'd like to be remembered as a stand-up guy who stands up for his country and protects his family protects the constitution you know all those things are definitely still you know strongly ingrained in my spirit but i'd like to be remembered for being able to do those things and after experiencing all of that to be able to fix myself to the degree that I can then go and function and bring happiness, joy, and safety uh, in, into my community. And it just became this all encompassing, uh, almost an obsession. I took, you know, jobs as janitors, as a janitor, uh, which I was over like very much overqualified for, but I was, I needed to humble myself and to be reminded that just because you're good with a gun doesn't mean that you're a man because a bullet fired from a 16 year old will kill you the same as one fired from a 30 year old. And um, then thus began the quest, you know, I started working for free to anyone who would teach me anything about the trades. Like that's the only rule. Don't even have to pay me. 
Kids don't get paid to go to school. They pay to go to school when they want to get a college degree. Well, I wanted a construction degree and they don't sell those. So you have to, you know, you have to go and you have to go and barter for it with your, with your time. Cause there, there is no certification for carpentry. You know, I got into carpentry and was like, well, man, I really like carpentry and I really like, you know, geometry and math and, you know, that type of math anyways. Uh, what can I do? Like, what are, what things are out there that I can go and get into that'll, you know, improve my community standing, like either with, you know, when they write these papers about this state has a better quality of life in this state. Well, I wanted wherever it was that I was working to have the best quality of life. So like, that's what I'm doing for my community. That's, you know, that's the, 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 the first string team that I'm on. Sure. Going back to like high school competitiveness, like my school's better than your school. That kind of stuff is fun. It makes you happy. You know, it, uh, it allows you to escape a little bit from some of the trash that's out there in the world that you must deal with because you're an adult. You know, there are these unfortunate things that you just must do and you must deal with and, you know, you must abide certain things. But then if you, when you're done doing that, you go and put your energy into whatever is important to you individually, uh, you can sort of escape from it. And for me, it was, uh, I bring a strong back and a mathematical mind. And if I don't know how to do it, then I'll go and find out how to do it. And then eventually I'll be good at it. Do you, so for like me, as anyone that watches any of these episodes knows all about me. And so I'm not going to go down the 30 minute rabbit hole, but being super into being pre-med, that's all I did seven days a week, 24 hours a day for four years. Just that's all I did that nonstop. When I decided to stop doing it, which is before I lost my brother, it was because I was like, I need to do something other than just this full on automaton which led to just several years of drugs and alcohol and all the bad stuff. Um, 2016 is when I moved home with my parents. And then again, for several years was picking up little things, um, writing, video editing, Photoshop, all this good stuff. There was always, and this is the point of this, there was always a part of me that was a little hesitant when I would start to get sucked in because I associated it with pre-med, with that's all I, I never had. You know, I never saw a woman that looked at me and like this. I've probably had plenty of women that have looked at me disgust. That's a bad thing, but not in the side, you know, the, not the eye of kicking doors, but I do vividly remember the day I took the MCAT coming back to my apartment and realizing that like two weeks prior was our graduation. All my friends had moved out and that college was over and I was sitting there going, I did it. And I was just all alone. And that's one of the worst memories of my life. And so whenever I'd start to get really into something like almost like an instinctual part of me would start to kick it away or self-sabotage because I was like, no, you can't go down that hole. Yeah. And then finally, I don't know what it was with the podcast, starting the podcast in December, 2019 was like the first time I dipped my toes back in and was like, Hey, wait, you can work really hard and be the best, but you don't have to have no friends and sit in a room and read a book all day, every day for you. You can create a wild podcast and talk about everything under the sun and it can be great. And and you can use that. You can use that part of you that I think is, you don't want to turn that off the whole, like, 
I'm going to fucking wreck this shit. That's the best feeling in the world. When I when I fucking it finish is. an episode with Dr. Malone and Dr. McCall, like I did just the other day, when I'm finished, I'm like, thanks, and I leave it. I'm just, you know, camera's off, and I'm like, fuck yeah. Like, you know, you, you seal the deal. When you finish interviewing a guy that walked on the fucking moon, you're just like, suck my dick, Earth. Like, I did it, right? That's a very important thing. That's part of being alive. You can get it from going to the gym, but man, when you've done a hundred episodes, two hundred, and then you just you just get one. You get Mike Durant, the Black Hawk Down pilot. You, you just you feel like you're the fucking champion, and it's a very and it's not a negative thing. So that that whole rant. Do you feel that with? And I think you did allude to it when you said you know climb to the next level, be with a carpentry or cabinets or whatever. Do you feel that sort of like, like you said, when you start, when you're a Marine, you got good at it and it felt good to get good at it. You came and people were scared and that meant you were doing your job and you kicked mm-hmm. down a fucking door and I will bring hell down if I have to. I've done it before and I'll do it again. Can you extricate that from death and destruction and still have that sort of like that alpha go-getter but instead like open up the door and being like, I'm going to make this living room fucking shine. So that, Does any takes, that makes sense. Oh yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So that, that took several years for me to be able to, um, I guess, put it on a switch. Right. I would go all in, you know, dive headfirst into anything I was doing. And then while I was doing that, my interpersonal interactions were also reverting back to how I spoke to junior Marines, how I spoke to, you know, people that I was working for. I talked to them like I would have if I was a Marine, which is talking down to you with a command voice. You know, I'm not talking to you as a peer. You're, I am here to make you do what I want or what I was told I want which is one and the same, like 99% of the time for me. Anyway, I was pretty lucky. What, you know, (laughs) some other guys, not so much. Uh, So count my blessings on that one, but yeah, it took, it had, what, uh, can I talk about drug use on here? You can talk about where the fuck you want, dude. I was on, after my brother died, I was on clonazepam. I was drinking cough syrup every day. I was drinking, doing Vyvanse, smoking pot, doing you you fucking name it. I was, I never did, I never did hair. I never did any hardcore heroin or I just haven't personally, I've just never liked painkillers. Just I'm lucky in that I just don't like painkillers. Never injected anything. And I never did any like super hardcore stimulants like meth or speed but i did all the psychedelics did all the benzos delirians the hallucinogenics the uh the and you know the mild amphetamines the mild all the all the -the over-the-counter shit i had five years where i really danced with the devil you can talk about whatever the fuck you want thank you so i started to have a i don't want to call it an epiphany because it happened over like the course of two years, but it like slowly built and slowly built to the point where I realized that I was the problem. It wasn't these fucking civilians don't know shit and they're just fucking talking out of the side of their face. Mm. It was, you were expect, I was expecting unreasonable things from these people that I was talking to. I was expecting understanding about things that 
they are not supposed to understand. Like you're, if you didn't join the military, you're not supposed to know what war is like. That's the whole point of having an all volunteer military. But as a 22 year old who just got out and, you know, won, I mean, more or less, like I felt like I won the fucking Super Bowl. I made it home from Afghanistan from taking two cities from a bunch of fucking Taliban faggots. <laughs> you know, I'm like, fucking, I just won a goddamn Super yeah. Bowl, motherfucker. Yeah. Like, hell yeah. Don't you don't tell me shit. Nobody tells me shit. And yeah. that was a problem because I'm still only 22 and all I know how to do is fight. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know how to, you know, do any kind of political analysis. I don't know how to do any kind of analysis at all, really. All I knew how to do was operate and go where I was told. But I, you know, maturity level was low for me at 22. And uh, I needed a perspective change because I was coming really, really close to being one of those 22 because I just felt like, man, the only thing I'm ever going to be good at is hurting people. Yeah. And I'm trying everything I can think of to be good at something else, like anything else. Please let me be good at something else. And I just wasn't getting it everywhere I went. I had all these interpersonal problems. People had problems with me, had problems with the way I talked, problems with my habits, problems with the way I did things, how, you know, uh, I was, I've been called a zealot before with like how I just follow the instructions and do it Barney style. There's, there's steps to every task. And I like going step one, done, step two, done, step three, not step one. Let's go talk about step four for 20 minutes while we drink a rip it, then go back, you know, maybe we'll do step two. No. Maybe step three. I, I can't go by the fucking. Yeah, no, I'm with you, dude. By the numbers and Bernie style. But I was incapable of communicating that in a hospitable way to anyone. Okay. It all just came out as do it the right way, fucker. Because where you're coming from is, is you follow the rules, you stay alive. Because I couldn't. No one's shooting at me. There's no reason to be this uptight about doing things a certain way. I'm not in a combat zone anymore. We're, you know, in Northern Virginia on a community college campus. Yeah. Like fucking relax, dude. Yeah. And I just, I fucking couldn't do it. And I couldn't do it and couldn't do it. And then I read about, I started thinking about uh, other cultures that had been more steeped in violence than I was. And like, why, they don't have a bunch of writing about all these guys like killing themselves and, you know, having all these problems from combat. Like, well, what the fuck, what's their gosh darn secret? How can they go and live in war for years and years and then go and just act like it never happened. And uh, one that stood out to me the most was the spirit quest that the native Americans uh, Mm -hmm. on the, on the East coast would do where they would go and, you know, smoke hashish or peyote or whatever it is. And they would have this existential experience where now the concept of someone else's perspective on you almost becomes visible to you and you can see it and witness it. You can like witness yourself. And I was like, man, maybe I should try that. So I went and found myself some mushrooms and I went off in the woods with uh, two liters of orange soda and an MRE and, you know, had myself a a quest and it was me all along. The problem was me. I needed to make changes to what I was doing. And that just meant that I needed to find an outlet 
for the over uh, the overage of emotions and stuff that I had. And what better outlet for a dude who, you know, picks things up and puts things down and takes pride in it is there than building the biggest buildings his city builds. So that's kind of how I ended up, you know, climbing the ladder up to doing high rise construction and really feeling good about it. What Duncan Trussell says, if you're walking around and, you know, you're at the mall and it just smells like shit and you go and visit your parents and it smells like, you know, like the whole world's just shit. He's like, the world might be shit, but before you write off the whole world, maybe you should look at the bottom of your shoes and make sure there's not shit. <laughs> and more often than not, you'll go, oh, okay. And I, yeah, yeah, you'll have to, I have to check myself all the time. I'll be like, man, this, this sucks. This sucks. Am I just being the rainy cloud? I mean, Spirit Quest, right after I graduated, like the day after I graduated college, I went into the woods with a friend with, uh, I don't think we had orange soda. I think we had a couple Subway sandwiches or a couple public subs. And uh, yeah, ate a ton of mushrooms and just sat in a field for seven hours. And that's when I realized that life could be love. That was my biggest takeaway, that life, it didn't have to be painful. Because when I was pre-med and studying, if I finished studying early, I thought something was wrong. I'm like, no, this should hurt. I should never be able to just like when I go to the gym and all, you know, all of a sudden a workout's not as hard. Well, you dial it up, right? That's the purpose of the gym. But I had that where like, I'd have, I'd have a 4.0. I'd be acing classes that other people were struggling to get a D in. Mm -hmm. But if it didn't hurt, I'd be like, why am I finished early? What am I going to do? Go enjoy myself. (laughs) What kind of madness is this? What am I going to go flirt with some girls at a bar? What is this black magic? Like, but that was my big realization. That was like my spirit quest was like that life can be love. And unfortunately it took me like another six years to start the podcast. So there's a whole lot of hell to go through first, but. It's what it is, man. Took me almost a decade to get to a point where I was confident enough to actually share my thoughts with anyone. But man, once you get to that point where you kind of start to iron it out and like, Mm -hmm. I still have mine, like I'm still working through them. God, it feels good once you start to really, and in a way that can really only take like a decade to get through. It's not something that you fix in a month. No, no, but you got to really want it. Well, like, I, you're someone that does construction, you know, I mean, this is like going down and redoing the foundation. Like, yo, we're knocking down the whole fuck. We're not putting a, we're not putting some band-aids. We're going to bulldoze this building. We're going to dismantle it. We're going to have to, you know, get a thousand dumpsters and dump trucks. We're going to go down. We're going to put, you know, steel piles into the ground. Then we're going to lay cement. And it's going to take a while. But goddamn, this building is going to be able to withstand a hurricane. And when you go down and, quote, unquote, fix yourself on your on that sort of spiritual bedrock. Yeah, it's still a long like journey back but you're building something that's made out of fucking diamond and like even if no one else can any ever understand it like you know what it like you know for you it's carpentry i know with me it's like building this podcast to me it doesn't matter if nobody understands it i'm like you don't know the backstory to this and i don't give a fuck because this thing is like rock solid like Mm -hmm. i'll fucking beat the shit out of you with kindness and love on my podcast like but i will wreck you and yeah, man, that's just. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know kind of where I, where I was going with that. Well, 
love love is important and if you don't have it then you're gonna have you know you're gonna have trouble like everyone should love something or someone uh you know if if you don't feel like you have that in your life the rest of your decisions that you're making day to day about what you're going to do with yourself all your future plans all that kind of stuff it's going to be like one-sided and if you're not doing it in a way that allows you to cohabitate with other people, then you're just setting yourself up for a very lonely failure. And that's a huge reason. I think why there are 22 veterans that, you know, sadly take their lives every day is it it's, it's hard, you know, coming out of a, lifestyle like that and then trying to assimilate into a completely different culture where you know the there was there's nuance in the marine corps like uh, you see a corporal walking down the street two of them one of them has brand new camis on right and the other one has camis that are like faded they look like they've been washed a hundred times his covers a different color then his blouse and his blouse is a different color than his trousers, but they're all the same uniform item. The dude with the salty clothes is going to get listened to before the dude in the brand new clothes. Right. So there would be like, there's like little stuff like that, but that shit does not exist in the real world. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Like nobody is going to be like, Oh man, you look salty. Like I better listen to you because there is, you've got like less than a 1% chance if you are not law enforcement, first responder or military of ever experiencing any kind of like life or death kinetic violent action. Yeah. Right. Like less than 1%. So by just by running the numbers, no one should ever live their life. Like they're going to experience that every second of every day. And it's almost impossible to like come out of it. If like with certain personality types, you know, the very like one dimensional kind of personalities where it's like, I am going to engross myself in this one thing and I'm going to be amazing at it. Marine Corps combat lifestyle is like not the place for those type of people if they ever want to get out. Because it's, it's going to be painful to a point where well, obviously where people just can't take it anymore and they, they just, they just wanted to stop. Yeah. And I was so close to being one of those guys, but I just, I made a, I just made a promise. I said, that's not allowed. That is not allowed. I don't care how bad it's going to hurt. I don't care how bad it hurts. Uh, it's just not allowed. I have to figure out something. Something has to be done and I have to do something. It's on me. Nobody's going to come rescue me. Nobody's going to, you know, be on me every day to go and make myself spiritually a better person. You know, that's up to me and I have to find a way to do that. And the way that I found to do it because of the way I had originally began expressing myself as an adult, which was a very physical, you know, kind of way, uh, I found construction and I met dudes in construction that had also fought in wars. 
And these weren't dudes that fought in American wars. These are dudes that fought in wars in South America where they were using, you know, Thompson submachine guns in like 1988. Right. And telling me about that kind of stuff. And it, it really gave me, you know, uh, it was an accumulation of mm-hmm. all of those things that really like set me on the right path and said like, you know, what I'm doing is working. What I'm doing is going to work. I just have to keep doing it. Yeah. And as long as I don't stop one day, I'm going to wake up and be like, you know what, man, you're all right in the mirror. Yeah. Doesn't matter what anybody else says. Like I need to be okay with who I am before I can worry about what anybody else's problem is. You know, I had a, obviously I've lost a brother. So suicide's kind of, it's well no it's permanently off the table because uh, it would just it would break my remaining two brothers and family and parents it just yeah you know, I, I, if i did it it would, it would be the death of them so to me i'm like well i can't kill them so i can't kill myself but i also kind of and it sounds dark but you know it's like only two things in life are certain death and taxes but i remember i don't remember quite when it was maybe it was like 2018 or 2019 just in a real low spot and I just remember it dawning on me. I get to die one day. Mm. There's no stopping this fucker. Mm-hmm. And instead of looking at it like the Grim Reaper's coming for us all, whether you're a billionaire or a peasant, it's coming for. I was like, wait, it ends. It fucking ends. And so to me, I was like, it doesn't even matter if it gets better. I'm going to try to make it better. And it has gotten better. But I was like, even if it doesn't, even if I wake up every day and I'm 80 years old and I'm like, this shit still sucks, it does end. And so, like, sometimes I'll say that to my most depressed friends and they'll kind of look at me like I'm fucking high. And I'll be like, dude, like, you get to die. You get to lay down and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. You get to end. And when you realize that you get to end this. it takes off such a load. Cause you're like, Oh, like, like my bed is there at home. Like the hotel room is reserved. I do have a plate. I do have a seat on the plane. Mm-hmm. I do have a plate at the dinner table and you're walking and you're in the rain and you're like, I know my, be- like it is, it's secure. Like, right. I know it's there. I know my sink works. I know after this, I'm going to go get some food from my refrigerator. There is a piece in, I remember when I was coming off clonazepam after I started taking it like a year after my brother died. I think I was on it for like a year and I came off of cold turkey and it was vicious. But instead of ever going back on it, what I did is I had like one or two just like in a bottle. And what was advised to me is just know you always have those. If you do have a, a... not an anxiety attack, but a fucking pain, you know, when it's, when your brain is being turned inside out. And I just called it like the clonopin in the pocket, clonopin, clonospam for everybody. There's no same thing. Know that you have it. And I always knew that I had it and you could go years without using it, but you, you knew if it got really fucking bad, you could take it. And within 30 minutes, the panic would go away and you could go years. And every once in a while you would have to use it. You'd be like, okay. All right. And then you'd start afresh and you'd have go go another couple of years without using it. But to me, I look at death as like the clonazepam in the pocket. And it's not a sad thing. 
it's not a depressing thing for me at least i know this ends so because of that kind of like you said like let's fucking kick down some doors and be like i'm here to brighten up your day motherfucker yeah except accept my love faggot yeah accept my love faggot <laughs> mike tyson i'll fuck you till you love me faggot like yeah fuck <laughs> I'll fuck you through you. Like, but you wouldn't last. You wouldn't last ten minutes in my world, faggot. That's what I mean, though. It's like rolling up in an MRAP, but instead of blowing shit down, it's like you and I coming out. I got a microphone, you got a hammer, and we're like, we're here to make your day better, fucker. And someone's so, just like, what is going on? So I got a little taste of that in Afghanistan, believe it or not. Uh, the the Taliban were such dicks. They walled off a whole river. It's such this, that's such this, like an that's such an understatement. So the Taliban, they're, they're such dicks. <laughs> Sorry, but okay, walled off a river. They walled off a whole river so that people downstream wouldn't get any because they refused to give them the taxes they wanted. Oh, they are dicks. They diverted a whole fucking river. I mean, it, all right, it's like the Rio Grande, but creek, sure, river thing. But still, the only water that any of these people got for all of their fields came off of this river and they just walled it up. So we ordered a couple well drilling like rigs and had like hired some dudes from Kabul to come down and start drilling these people wells. So they would come running out cause they would see us unloading the shit and know what it was somehow. Like they, they, we weren't there for bad stuff. We were there for good stuff. Uh, and it was a completely different sensation having kids come up. Uh, you know, we um, we opened up a school in Iraq that hadn't been open in years. And this kid, when we rolled through the, the town again, uh, we had to dismount and walk next to the trucks because everything was so cluttered and stuff. And uh, this kid comes up to me and shows me his report card. You know, and it's, I, I have no idea what he's saying, but he's, you know, excitedly showing me this report card. And it was, uh, you know, the combination of those, those things kind of really I'm trying to think of the right way to it's describe a, the, a like, glimpse the into a, it's a glimpse into like a parallel life. You're there killing and calling in artillery strikes. And then all of a sudden you're bringing water and a little kid's coming almost like dad, dad, look at my grades. And it's like, what? black hole that i just stepped through and that kind of stuff happens to honestly anyone that's ever been outside the wire they they will almost 100 percent of the time have these you know surreal 180 flips in emotional readiness you know you go from being a machine that's there to you know mechanically dispatch enemy combatants to uncle uncle ruckus you know hey boy how's it going yeah and uh it's uh without any kind of guidance those emotions like are really tough to manage Mm -hmm. uh you know as a as a young adult which i was i was 20 when i was in iraq i was uh i turned 22 in afghanistan and I joined up when I was 18. So like I had the emotional depth of a senior in high school on my second deployment still, because it was just the Marine Corps is like li- being a Marine is like living on Mars. 
you know, none of the rules that anybody else had to follow, you had to follow. I had a, I had a license plate from North Carolina and a Virginia driver's license because I'm the feds. <laughs> uh, and then to like, for that to be over because you realize that there is like something intrinsically wrong with what you're doing to you anyways, yeah. whether or not it's real is debatable, but to me it was real and it, there was something just intrinsically wrong. I realized like my guy, or I thought I realized my government's just, you know, if it's speak, if it's politically convenient, they're just going to leave me out here. Yeah. You know, something happens. I call for help. And they told me all the time coming up, you know, if you follow the rules, we'll have your back to the hilt. You know, if you do everything by the numbers, you need to follow all the rules. Did I mention no if you follow all the rules? Yeah. No man left behind. But that's just not the way it happens when you're in a political conflict you know if it's politically inconvenient for you to be where you are then you're not whether you really are in real life or not and that just didn't it didn't it didn't jive with what i thought the marine corps was supposed to be and then i started you know having those doubts like is there something wrong with me am i a coward Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm no longer willing to do this because I don't think they have my back, you know? So I, like, I couldn't reenlist obviously, because then I would be a liar. If I reenlisted, you know, you put your right hand up and you swear. Well, it's like, well, I don't really believe everything I'm swearing. So I can't, I can't do that. And up until that point, that was all I had as far as an identity for myself. So it's like, I went back to square one after doing all of this stuff that shouldn't have left me at square one, or yeah. at least I, I didn't think it should have. It's hard. So, it, yeah. It's hard to keep going in when it's I, like, you, it's like seeing a therapist and them saying like, there's nothing you can tell me that, you know, like I'm here to open up everything. You're like, Oh man. And you know, every day I tell myself, it's just, it's okay to die. It's like, if, you know, if I did that whole thing and they were like, what the fuck all of a sudden you're like, now you're on guard. You're like, what do you mean? I can't, I can't tell you everything. And I don't know if you, if you want to uh, elaborate on it, the story you told me about, you know, having to get PID on, on some people approaching you. It was that the beginning of your doubts. And if you don't want to go in, remember, it's not live. We can cut it out if you don't want it. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's totally cool. Okay. Um, is that, is that part of what is that maybe, that, was that, that the Genesis? Was- that was it, man. Oh, okay. That, that was my come to Jesus moment. Yeah. Uh, you want to explain was, it for everybody listening? Sure. So there was an operation in Southern Afghanistan. Do, do you want me to like give like, operation, yeah, like, you'll go like, in like, background details. Fall, and stuff? Falls in. Let's go. All right. Uh, so there was an operation that was launched by Barack Obama to send uh, 40,000 troops into Southern Afghanistan. And I was amongst the first of those 40,000 to, reinvade southern afghanistan and go and take these towns away from the taliban that had made gains on uh previous marine units for you know various reasons um and the main supply route that went up into the city from the firebase that was supplying the southern portion of the city kept getting blown the fuck up everyone that went up that road just got blown the fuck up so then they said well we have a bunch of artillerymen hanging out on this fire base, you know, jerking off in the, in the trailer and stuff. 
why don't we send them out and have them just like live on this road? Sure. That sounds great. So we drive our fucking MRAPs up there and we set up like with 800 meters of dispersion, three mans, three men per truck, uh, four men for the truck with the dock in it. And uh, we'd stay out there for uh, two days on and then one day off. And then we'd switch and uh, sister squads would come and relieve us. Uh, so one night we, uh, this was after the Taliban had sent a mentally handicapped uh, teenage boy or, or man, I can't remember which, I, I wasn't there, uh, at our sister squad to our south. And they did everything they were supposed to do to stop someone from approaching them. And he did everything you weren't supposed to do. And he ended up getting shot. Uh, he had to be shot because of the actions that he took. And I won't go into, you know, all the detail because there was some uh, argument as to whether or not it was a clean shoot. Uh, I don't really want to get into that part, sure. but the, the situation existed and he was dead. So a couple of hours later, our sister squad starts taking machine gun fire and uh, they are engaged in a, in a somewhat of a gun battle. And obviously everyone else on the route is now on high alert. We're getting, you know, reports of V-beds coming on our, up on our position, uh, reports of mortar teams maneuvering on our position. At one point, we got told standby for incoming. Like, we think they just shot at you and mortars are inbound. Uh, so all this stuff's going on and the sun goes down. So now it's dark as shit. There's, it's a cloudy night. Can't see anything with the NVGs. It's all thermals. Can't see shit. And but what we can see is a big thermal signature on an abandoned compound that's like 150 meters away from us. And there's like 30 dudes. And all we need for PID to engage these guys is to light them up, see that they have weapons. That's it. We need an alum canister to pop over top of them. We can have PID on them and start engaging at 150 meters because three Marines with a machine gun and two M16s is going to do a lot of damage from 150 meters to zero meters. The alternative to that was wait until they literally climb on the truck because it was so dark. We couldn't tell if they had weapons or not, like until we were, you know, actually touching them without any kind of illumination. And uh, I called for fire for a while, several times. And I was denied every time. And uh, in, I guess, uh, brushed up like radio operator speak, I was basically told you're on your own, like, hope you don't die. And uh, we all, you know, looked at each other and we're like, well, the only thing we have, we can't, uh, we can't retreat. You know, we can't give up this position. We have to hold our position because if we give up this position, the Marines that come down this road tomorrow are going to die. So we have to hold this position. Well, it was an honor serving with you guys. We all said our goodbyes, you know, made our peace with whatever we needed to make our peace with, dropped the combat locks on our doors and just waited for the assault to come. And uh, we ended up uh, shooting a shitload of pyro up in the air as like a last ditch effort to get PID with some kind of range. And the way that my squad leader did it was he ran, like he got out of the truck, dismounted from the truck and started going up and down the road trying to get a better angle to shoot the pyro so that we could see 
And the only thing we can figure is that by him doing that and then seeing the pyro come up from so many different directions, they thought that there were a lot more Marines holding our position than there actually were. And they actually ended up uh, running away and not assaulting our position. But when that was all said and done, everybody, you know, it was like, man, that was lucky. You know, we're all like, man, that, that was so awesome. Like, I can't believe it just happened. And then it was kind of like, hey, hey, why were you, we put in that position? You motherfuckers were just going to leave me here. And then I was like, well, I've already given my word, so I'm going to do what I gave my word to do, but not an ounce more from here on out like finish that's, your i'll finish the deployment but fuck off i'm done if Jeez. that's the way this shit works i don't accept that i'm not i you know call me a pussy or coward whatever you want I, it's I don't the last it. thing anyone would do I, I'm, I'm 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 the if i was there i'll tell you what you you saw me you know i fell and hit my head on a brick and thought my life was over and you had done clean me up with like taco bell wrappers <laughs> but 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 one thing I remember I remember when you first told me this story, and it was so maybe this is my own mind, maybe I'm a sociopath, I don't know. But I, and again, this is as someone who has never been remotely near anything that could even be slightly classified as a reflection of combat. I am your white suburban boy, but I feel like when push came to shove and this group of men were approaching wouldn't you rather unload on them and be reprimanded tomorrow or is it just will the will the dick of the chain of command fuck you so hard that you really do just follow the order do you just wait till they get close enough to where you do see their guns and then you light them up that was like that was literally the way it ended up happening there were arguments going on in the truck about whether or not to just, just, just start them. start fucking just shooting them. Fucking light them up now. Fuck Dude, it. Yeah, yeah. Yell at me tomorrow. Start fucking shooting them. Yeah, I want to be judged by twelve. Fuck that. Carried by six. Shit. Yeah. Uh, that you know that that went down, and basically what what boiled down to was we're not. If going we follow to light the rules, they're gonna come. If we follow the rules, we're gonna be taken care of. And that's the way that I thought everything worked. I was the radio operator. It was my job to make sure that all of our outside assets were going to come. Nobody else was responsible for that. I was the lifeline to everybody. So I felt like a special sense of responsibility for making sure that I did everything I could do to yeah. bring as much ass as I could to get all of my squad home. And I was not allowed to do that and it felt like a big kick in the dick because then it was like well what the fuck am i here for yeah just there's no reason for me to be experiencing this if this is you know if we're not actually here to to, to fight yeah uh but again i'm not a political analyst you know i'm sure, sure. there are reasons you know, one of the one of the counter thoughts that I got from another Marine was, well, you're a fucking Marine. You're supposed to be able to get in and out of those situations alive. Part of your job description. 
I was like, nah, I halfway agree with that. And then the other half of me says, fuck you. You promised you would back me up. If I followed the rules, I followed the rules and you didn't back me up. I feel like that's kind of a way of like laundering responsibility. It's like, I'm not going to tell you that you should have killed them all, John, but I mean, come on, you're a Marine. What are you going to do? You know, I didn't see anything. I'll be back tomorrow, which is bullshit. You should be like, no, you, you either can or you can't engage. Don't fucking say you can't engage. That does mean no good. As the actual guy pulling the trigger that as we've seen, I mean, this was at the, this was in 2011, 2000, no, 2010. Uh, so, you know, you remember what the political climate was like in 2010. When, when in 2010, just thinking. Uh, February, March timeframe. February 2010, I was getting drunk in Valdosta, Georgia at a frat house pool. Sounds Christ all fucking mighty. And we talk about different universes. But no, I actually, no, I, that was the surge, right? Because so the operation that I was involved in was the operation where those Marines that were pissing on the dead Taliban filmed themselves. Gotcha. That was in my AO. So uh, it's already like a you guys are like the higher ups probably on like tippy toes or like pins and needles or whatever the fuck the saying is. Um, they had also had uh, General McChrystal got relieved because of a high Mars strike that supposedly like killed a bunch of civilians. And uh, they reported that it killed the civilians before anyone actually got the after action report from the strike. It turned out that there weren't any civilians there, but he got relieved all the same. Uh, so, you know, 22 years old, completely clueless to how politics works or, yeah. you know, how to navigate that quagmire of people's feelings. Uh, just, it wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah, you're. You're just like the, you're the end of a finger of one hand on an arm of a trillion dollar war fighting machine that's going up against the fingers on the hands of arms of other trillion dollar war fighting machines. And it's like, how does one cell in my stomach, it's digesting Burger King, possibly comprehend like trying to coordinate a podcast and getting guests and lining this up and texting you and hey he's not sorry this guy's he's i know this one's running late so i gotta move this to here send this email and i got this and, and i'm gonna upload here and this is the description i'm gonna how can like a a bacteria in my gut who's just like take the carbohydrate in and we cut it in half like you know how can something like that possibly understand like what my life is and in turn how can you understand the, the nuances of of political gamesmanship and who the fuck knows what's going on with just like it's just a game of like power leadership it's clearly somebody wanted McChrystal spot or they just wanted him gone and it's it's just these massive just nation states going at each other and then tiers of power with is it the pentagon is it dod is it one of the 17 intelligence communities there there's defense contractors you're over here and then there's also this opium trade and no one's this place is the death of empires no one's ever come out of here from alexander the great how the fuck do i think i'm going to come out of here yeah you just do what you're told because you're like well fuck i want to live when I go to the airport, it is so big and scary, and there are terminals, and there are massive things with wings and jet engines. But you know what I know? I look up at the gate. 
E14. E14. E that way. Turn that way. Gates one through seven that way. No. Set eight through 14 that way. I sit down and I have my ticket. And they go, retard Kerrigan. And I go, hello. And I sit on my seat. And I sit there and they give me some pretzels. They throw me through the sky five miles above the earth at close to the speed of sound. And I land and I get off and and I'm home. It just follow the rules to stay alive. And I thought, how else do you do? What else would you do? I thought that was good enough to be an adult. And I realized that it wasn't good enough. And then I felt like I was very subpar yeah. compared to other people on an intellectual level. I felt really stupid. Like, sure. how did I not understand this thing sure. more? I, uh, it's hard to describe. It was, it was like uh, you needed to do something that was going to determine whether or not like the rest of your life was going to be comfortable and you forgot. And then you're, that, that feeling like of, oh, fuck when like your the bottom of your stomach just drops out you're like you realize that you re, you remember something and it's way too late to do anything about it i had that all of that like my whole belief structure came crashing down inside of an armored truck outside of marja afghanistan while i was surrounded by people that i thought were trying to kill me and it was just the worst it like i, I really wouldn't put that on anybody because it was I tortured myself over it more than anyone making fun of me for it ever would have hurt my feelings my own sense of like self-stupidity was massive after that situation like how could you be so dumb yeah and I don't feel that way anymore like that wasn't me being dumb that was me growing up in a catholic house with a Marine that fought at Peleliu as a grandfather. Oh, Jesus Christ in heaven. So I've got all of this stuff, you know, ingrained in me as far as loyalty to your country, loyalty to the Constitution of the United States, loyalty to your family, loyalty to whatever God you pray to. Uh, And did I mention loyalty to your family? (laughs) I thought that the Marine Corps would just be an extension of that. Sure. And it turned out to be a very political place, just like every other professional place that I've ever worked at since the Marine Corps. It's all in one way or another political. You have to get along with people. You have to, uh, you have to make concessions to people that you want to work with. You know, everybody's got their idiosyncrasies. And if you want to have a lasting professional relationship with somebody, you have to either you have to decide, do I accept these idiosyncrasies or not? Uh, if you do, then you just plan around them. And that's, you know, there's not just one way to do things. You know, you can't just be like, well, I'm a fucking sergeant of Marines and we're just doing it this way. Because that's a good way to end up working by yourself and not making any money. And it was, uh, it's been a long, long road to get to a point where I am happy with the way I do business. I am happy with the way I, my personal interactions uh, begin and end. 
and I feel confident in the methods that I've taken to more or less fix myself once I realized that there was a problem. But again, 10 years, lots of reading, psychology classes in college, you know, trying to understand TBI and post-traumatic stress and, uh, you know, the other maladies, you know, vertigo, hearing loss, stuff like that. Everything you do has to basically get rewritten Uh, because nothing in your body works the same as it used to. And when you have a brain injury, don't perceive the world the same way as you did before. So you always have to be, you know, sort of suspicious of your own emotions. Yeah. You know, I call it a, uh, I did a hearing test where a doctor would say sentences to me and then I would repeat the sentences back. And uh, I could have sworn that the doctor said Tootsie Roll rape. And I said, she's like, well, what did I say? And I said, I'm not saying that. So, no, what did I say? I was like, I don't think you said that. So, no, what did I say? It's like, Tootsie Roll rape? She just starts laughing. So that's kind of like the, when I completely miss on something, I'm having like a Tootsie Roll rape moment. (laughs) But that's how I. I'm I'm not trying to laugh at you. It's the way you just nonchalantly said I'm having a Tootsie Roll rape moment. (laughs) But it's, it's taken time for me to be so nonchalant about just saying, yeah, I had a Tootsie Roll rape moment. My bad. I got and you. I don't feel bad. It's I have, you know, an issue that I'm watching out for. I know it happens. I take steps to mitigate the, you know, the symptoms of my issue and I work hard at it. But every once in a while, I have a Tootsie Roll rape. I have a Tootsie Roll rape moment. Just uh, I, mean, my, I just went back to the, I just went back to the doctor today. Monday, July 18th for like post-concussion syndrome. There's just weird shit. Like I'm, I'm very open about this shit. I mean, I I have anxiety. I really have since my brother died. And like every year I'm due for like a, a big old whopping panic attack, not necessarily around his anniversary. Just one of those where it's not anxiety. It's where it's like, lock the door. They're coming to get me. Stay in bed, breathe, breathe. The ones that when they're over, you feel like you just worked out and you're like, okay, you're like, God almighty. You're like, please God. I've been having those almost every weekend since the concussion. That sucks. You and might it, wanna, You might want to get checked out for TBI. Well, that's what they said today. And I'm working with them and my mom's a nurse, obviously. I've been having the once annual concussion or the once annual panic attacks almost every weekend. And like, that's like my own little Tootsie Roll rape thing where I'm like, hmm, it's a, it's a Saturday morning again, and uh, I'm covered in cold sweat. It feels like the walls are actually closing in about an inch every minute. I swear they're not. Wow, I'm, I'm calling the doctor for the third straight Saturday saying, is there anything you, you can prescribe me? And for the third straight Saturday, I'm texting my mom saying, hey, I'm not calling today. Like I'm too scared to talk on the phone. Can you just pray for me? That's a that's my Tootsie Roll rate moments, and they fucking suck. And mine's not even from serving my country. Mine's from falling in a goddamn window well because because we just couldn't drink and smoke enough. But regardless, it's that it is that. So I want to don't having issues like that. They don't just come from combat. Uh, yeah. 
Right. And like, there, well, there's a lot of people that have these issues that they think that there's something wrong with them because they weren't in combat because mm. something that they experienced, uh, you know, left a trauma in their soul that they can't, you know, they can't quite shake. And perspective is everything. Right. If your life has been going along, you know, la 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 friendship and then boom, like something that somebody that lived in the ghetto deals with every day happens to you. That's the worst fucking shit that's ever happened to you in your whole fucking life. Yeah, of course, it's going to be traumatic. Yeah. And it, uh, it it really hurts me when I do hear people suffering from depression, suffering from panic attacks and things like that, trying to not, not trying to, but actually, you know, making statements that denigrate themselves for having these things because like, Oh, it's, it's so little or it's so small. It it's only so little and so small to someone else. Something that would, that I would consider small could be the biggest thing in the fucking world to somebody else. And that was another thing that I, you know, my spirit quest taught me was perspective is huge. Yeah. And when somebody wants to share with you something that they find traumatic or difficult, uh, you should always, if you've suffered also, you should always be willing to sit and talk with them because talking about it until it's not a big thing anymore, until you can be nonchalant about, anything that's wrong with you is one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most important things to mental health is for you to be so in control of the concept of your issues where that you feel like you have power because talking about it doesn't bother you. It's just a thing. Everyone's got a thing. Your thing is this thing. Yeah. I mean, I remember summer 2020, May 2020, I had to put down my dog. My parents, I was living with my parents, but my parents write it down. Obviously, brothers don't, they're been out since they're in college. I moved home, but I'm 30 years old. I'm there. I had to put down Oscar, 17 and a half. He's my fucking homie. And I had known Dale for about a month and a half at that point. Now, like now I've known Dale for two years. He's my buddy. I had barely known Dale. Any relationship we had was still in a, hey, thanks for coming on the podcast, blah, 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 blah. And I just remember like crying and I like texted Dale at like 10 in the morning. No, I texted him at like noon, which is midnight his time because he's in Bali. So Dale's probably like, who the fuck is this faggot blowing me up? And I was like, <laughs> Dale, I miss my dog so much. I, and I remember immediately thinking, this guy has, this guy has done black ops shit that would make your head spin. But Dale also trains canines. And I remember he texted me right back and said, they're, they're your best friends, man. And like, that's always stuck with me. Like Dale, who could have been like, delete my number, you pussy excuse for a man. But and he, who knows? He, he probably did say that. But at least he texted me and said, like, they're your best friends, man. And like, it is. It, trauma is subjective hugely subjective and the longer so somebody like dale who's you know fucking james james bond who is who he is uh dale is and always has been dale always will be and he always was 
I'm sure that he has, uh, you know, a very firm grasp on what trauma is. I'm sure. And what it does to the human brain. So that's uh, always be supportive. If, if you have any kind of positive feelings towards somebody and they're expressing trauma to you, you should always be supportive because it's, you're just a fag. If you don't. Yeah. Don't be a fag. Yeah, um, don't be a fag. Give him a hug. Yeah. <laughs> Kiss him, faggot. Do it. <laughs> and uh, I guess we'll, uh, and I, I'd, I'd love to have you back on, but we'll, we'll wrap this one up with. So after I fucking fell in the window, well, it cracked my dome and I walk and I'm like, yeah, I'm good. You go, Tommy, we, you're bleeding. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure I'm bleeding. And I walk inside and I put my hand to my head and my hands just like glistening. I'm like, uh Oh, like that sobers you up quickly. I'm like, fuck, we might have to go to the hospital. And you're like, I think we got to go to the hospital. And Don comes out and you go, we might go to the hospital. Don, Don's like, well, it's a matter of faggots. And he like comes out, you know, he comes up and what do you guys do? He like he fills his hand with salt and then smacks the back of my head. He goes, did that hurt? And I was like, no. He's like, well, it's not good. And he's like, dump some vodka on it. And he goes like, you know, he's like, can you still feel your back or something? He was like, what is he doing? He was like scratching my back. He's like, can you feel that? And I thought it meant, I thought it was supposed to hurt. And I'm like, no, I can't feel it. So you guys are both scratching the left side of my back and going, can you feel that? But because you had guys had just dumped vodka and salt on my wound, I thought feeling had to be pain, right? And so I'm like, I can't feel it. And you guys are like, oh, Jesus Christ, like we have to go to the hospital. He can't feel the left side of his back. And Don goes, you can't feel that at all. I go, oh, I mean, I can feel your fingers. And he goes, Jesus Christ. Oh! He goes, tell me. You guys are just looking at Don's got his shirt off. You're smoking your vape. There's Taco Bell everywhere. And he goes, he goes, he's like, you know, Don's voice. Listen to me, faggot. You're going to be fine. Goes, and then I, I remember he starts to walk away. And you and I are still, we're not done yet. We still got a lot of beer. And I'm sitting there covered in blood. And I go, and for everybody listening, we this is when we had done like a fundraiser and Dale was there and Dale happened to be in the house. We were in sleeping downstairs with his beautiful wife and uh, he had a long flight the next day and Don's walking away. And I remember I looked at you kind of quietly. I go, Dale would know what to do. And you go, Dale would know what to do. Just kind of really, you just kind of cons- consoling me. So I look at Don and I go, so if anything else happens, I'm just going to wake up Dale and Don just stops on a dime, turns around and goes, do not wake up dale <laughs> it was just like i was like all right and i remember you just like i'll take care of him and yeah i think you and i sat there for the rest of the night just kind of drink i dropped your vape dropped your vape in the window well burn my finger on a cigarette I that was quite sure a night we were gonna wake up oh yeah we just kind of sat there yeah just <laughs> maybe we should wake up don't i mean we should wake up dale do not wake up Dale. Like, so I right. think so I think we did wake up Dale and it was his LED light because Don swears up and down that he said nothing to us, nor did he shine a flashlight at us. From the bedroom? Yeah. Oh, so not- for everybody listening, like John and I were out right were out front of our uh, friend's house and Don had just gone to bed. Don was like, I'm too gay. You guys are way too cool. I can't hang out with you. And we were like, dude, it's okay. It happens to everybody. And he goes to bed on like the first floor. John and I walk back outside, smoking his vape, and I don't know, more Taco Bell, more beer. And we see like a, what we think is Dawn getting ready for bed. And he like poked his head out and was like, Night fuckers. 
something like that. And then I, I, what, I something like I was like, I'm gonna go moon him or something. Oh, I, hey, hey, John. Oh, hey, John. Hey, and I start walking over. Here I, I come. Here comes Tom. And, and like, then you I, disappeared. And then I disappeared into. Thank God it was now and not 1970 Vietnam because that would have been the end. But I just whoop, disappeared up to. And I don't remember a guy. I remember walking towards like the LED light. And then next thing I know, just my armpits hurting because they were like stuck on bricks. And all of a sudden, I'm just like looking at like there's dirt and then there's like a brick. And like you walked up. And I remember I was like looking at your shoelaces. And I was like, what the fuck? That's kind of all I remember. You helped me out. I was so out of it. We had obviously been drinking and I was not expecting for like 14 hours at that point. <laughs> I, I was not expecting an emergency. <laughs> so I don't even watch you walk over there. I just hear, what the fuck? <laughs> and I look over and all I can see is your head and one of your like foot footlocker arms, like holding onto the brick and i'm like oh shit i better get over there get him out of that whatever it is Uh, uh, i didn't even i didn't even know there were window wells there like that was the day i learned out that was the day i learned what windows window wells were i I had no fucking idea jesus i remember the next morning i get up and i'm still alive i woke up all right and uh i remember i go upstairs and we're just kind of like talking and whatever and there's just blood dried down inside of my head and i remember you looked at me you go how are you feeling and i was like oh which was weird because i actually didn't have concussion i had like delayed concussion for like 72 hours so i actually just kind of felt like i had gotten in like a bar fight over there. so i was like eh, you know i felt better and you're like but you're good and i'm like yeah you go good because i need you to go get my vape that you dropped in the window well <laughs> I was like, motherfucker. So I go over there and you're just like, yeah, just real quick, if you do that favor for me. I'm walking over back to the scene of the crime. So just blood going down my back. And I'm like, yeah, I think I can get it. And uh, yeah, that was, was that. I was so hungover. I felt no remorse for that. Didn't know you shouldn't have. You absolutely shouldn't have. But that was, I mean, yeah, I mean, and then 72 hours later, I just woke up dizzy, puking nauseous anxious like slurred speech and so that's, uh that's kind of like how every morning for me goes oh yeah because you have vertigo right yep and uh tbi so i get like seasick uh every morning slurred speech not so much but definitely not steady on my feet and i throw up a lot yeah and yeah, i remember you say you, you throw up like every morning yeah Lasting, being a professional tough guy has its, uh, you know, has its costs. Yeah. But it's, again, it's that foundation thing. Mm -hmm. You can't get to where you are now where you can, with a straight face, talk about slowly being surrounded by enemy combatants and thinking your last thoughts to joking about Tootsie Roll, Tootsie Roll rape or to having no remorse about throwing me back down in the hole to get your vape. Like it takes, you don't get to that point like easily. No, you have to work for it and you have to want it. Like the most important thing is you have to want it. You can't do it 
just because somebody else said you were fucked up. Yeah. Like you have to accept that you're fucked up and then you have to accept the, re- it is your responsibility to fix that. Like if you, no decide, one's coming, right. Nobody's going to come fix you. You have to do it. And when you do it on the other end of that, you'll be like, damn, I have so many years left. Oh yeah. And, and now I, I can fucking say as many wiener jokes as I want and not, you know, not go and show my ass in front of a bunch of fancy people. You know, you play Ghost Recon, right? Because that's one of the things you and I were talking about, right? Ghost Recon Wildlands. Mm-hmm. So I played it a lot last fall, fall 2021. And then I became a PC fag this January. So recently, like the last month or so, uh, like I started playing again. But now that I had played the game, I had a whole new way of going about it. And starting on the top left, I'd go to one region. I'd go get all the intel from all the different lieutenants and the intel caches. I'd find out where the skill points were, where the bonus medals were, where the weapons were, and where the weapon attachments were, and where the major intel for missions were. And maybe take like, take about an hour per section, clear it all. And I wouldn't touch a mission move over to the next one because at this point i've already beat the game several times sweep through the whole thing get the intel find the guns doesn't matter if i don't even want it it's like forward grip for a pump action i don't give a fuck give it to me i want 100 mm. percent. and you just sweep through the and i actually i did it and, and put it on the gaming channel there is like the full like 50 hours of me doing it but i swept through the whole thing and if you had just been looking at it as someone who's like, how far along are you in Ghost Recon? They'd be like, what, is this kid retarded? You've been playing for 15 straight nights and you're still at 0% completion on the campaign. But by the time I have swept through everything and I have a, a silenced 50 cal with an optical camo cloak in a drone that can go 200 meters, see things in thermal, call an artillery, have a distraction of, uh, of rebels come in and then have a helicopter called into my position. And I have three other guys and we have sync shots and I can take down the snipers, take down the generator, take out the alarms and then move in like the cloak of death. To me, that's the 10 years of foundation is like, where am I now? I'm 31. I live in a 700 square foot apartment. I have 10,000 subscribers. On paper, you're looking like, okay. But I know I'm laying that groundwork. I Because I've, I've done pre-med, just like I've played the game. I've done it before. I know that groundwork and prep work, prep the battlefield, mm. takes all that time and then when it's and then when I wanted to beat the game, I think Stoli and I beat it in like a night. We just went through mission after mission. You couldn't. We're just going through like a goddamn hand of God. All of our guys are invisible. We're flying from ten thousand feet up. We're calling in artillery. Car bombs are going off. We got noisemakers over here. We're doming motherfuckers. All of our gear is is leveled up to thirty. I'm shooting through two MRAPs to hit a guy. But you can only do that when you do all of that background. And then someone, let's say that maybe someone that never played Ghost Recon, they might look and go, how the fuck are you just moving through like that? And it's like, dude, an an untold amount of like, now granted, this is a video game and it's, we're talking in hours as opposed to years, but that's kind of how I look at this. And I'm saying it confidently, I'm saying it confidently because 
it's not like I'm telling you how I made my first billion dollars because it still hasn't happened. <laughs> but like, I look at it with like video game and I can't help but feel like I'm moving through all the regions. I'm getting all the bonus medals. I'm getting all the Kingslayer files. And everyone else is like, what are you doing? You're 31. You got into medical school when you were 23. Like by now you could already be a practicing surgeon. And instead in my mind, I'm like, oh baby, now there's something much better coming. And what yep. they haven't seen yet is the optical cloak, the maxed out desert yep. tech HTI. Like, oh no, like I'm coming with the fury of God. This, this, this analogy is excellent. And only people that will know Ghost Recon will be in on it. Rest of you faggots don't know. We're speaking in code. I did that same thing with God of War 3. Yeah. I went around and by the time I actually started doing the game, uh, I had like the best sword in the game, the best armor in the game. Only way to play, dude. Health in the game. And I just raped every boss in like five minutes. That's the only way to go. Just Cause 3. I'll go through and I'll unlock the fighter jet, unlock the respawn. Uh, I'll add like the nitrous only in just cause kind of plain have nitrous, but like, you know, I'll upload, I'll unlock everything to where I can just spawn it and have everything. And again, you look at two weeks of gameplay and you'll be like, nothing's unlocked. You're in the same little region. And now that I've actually, cause I used to do this on Xbox, but now that I've got PC, now I can actually, I'll do the same thing for everybody listening. It'll be like a two week process. And then you get in the fighter jet and you take off and because it's unlimited ammo you can in like three hours be go from zero percent to a hundred percent because you're just turning and you're going top gun just 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 carp a bomb out every base is just you know you have guys down there with pea shooters they're like where is he and you're just dropping fucking health you're going full curtis lemay rolling thunder from like a mile up just <laughs> destroying shit there's an oil rig you're taking it out before you're even near it no one can touch you you're just turning and burning and you're just you're just face fucking sam sites and blowing up structures but again lay all the groundwork slow long tedious process construction works the same way or demolition putting all the charges get it all perfect you will have been there for three months and it won't look like you've done shit and then and the then facade goes up two weeks boom there's a building yeah but it took three months of bullshit underground that no one can see of you crawling around in the dirt like getting everything sorted out so when that building did go up it doesn't fall over like it does in mexico yeah yeah or, or bolivia but like yeah. I mean, but obviously I've always loved skyscrapers. Um, and I remember watching a, a, a site I used to visit in high school is a skyscrapercity.com. And I remember when the, back then it was the Burj Dubai, but the, when the Burj Khalifa was approved and everybody was like, fuck yeah. And like, I started watching it in like eighth grade maybe. And it was like, first it was just like clearing the construction site. And like another year goes by and it's, they started putting in the pilot, right? Those like 500 foot long, like rods. They just insert almost like it's like an Afro pick that you stick into the ground. And then like another year after that, they like all the surveyors are there and they're using the lasers and making sure it's, and then like another year after that, they lay the, the foundation of the Burj Khalifa and it's the weird like Lotus petal thing. And then they, the first floor kind of starts going up and you're like, well, maybe it's, and then once they get like the base, the base floor up, 
then in like one year, it goes from like zero to 80 floors. And then like the next six months, it goes 80 to 180. And then the, the, the glad the the glass facade and aluminum cladding go up and all of a sudden it goes and it's just like this sparkling mega structure twice as tall as the world trade center and you're like what in god's how the fuck gee isn't modern technology that sure something else but no it's like by the time it happened i i was a senior going off to college when i started watching it i had like braces in a bowl cut but it's the same thing you're just laying the groundwork laying the groundwork laying the groundwork and then it's then you take on the campaign at level ninety nine and just skull fuck every uh, boss to death. Everybody on that job's getting used to everybody, because when you first show up on a job, there's it's almost never just one company. There's always subcontractors in there, yeah. having to get used to like how that company works. Yeah, uh, like the this building uh, was a Clark Construction project. Uh, anybody from DC knows Clark Construction. They're big kind of a big deal Uh, i am not of those clarks (laughs) (laughs) i got i actually got yelled at my first day on this site because my uh my six foot stick ruler that i had had my name on it well my name is clark the guy grabs my ruler and is like what you doing stealing our shit i was like that's not my that that's not yours that's mine it's like well your name's not clark yes it is let me see your driver's license i show my driver's license and then he said, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm so Mr. sorry, Clark. Mr. Clark. Because I'm the fourth. So I assume like when he saw John W. Clark, the fourth. He's like, oh, he's like, oh shit. And it's like, well, I did. Like, no, I'm not that one either. <laughs> I didn't correct him. I was just like, oh, it's, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, okay. it's all right, child. It's all right. <laughs> oh, I'm going to stop this. Yeah. Give me my ruler back now, please. Give me my ruler now back, faggot. Accept my love. But yeah, literally, accept my love. Everybody gets to accept it. You can't go into a quadrant of that city without failing it. Goddamn right. And pretty soon where I'm at now in, you know, sunny Texas uh, will be sim- a similar story. Fuck you can't, yeah. can't walk around on this place without feeling my love because I've like, touched everything now. Like Johnny Appleseed, you're scattering it left and right. And um, it's all it's all groundwork, man. You know, uh, learning learning to be humble is is a hard thing for some guys, especially like alpha personality. Sure. Uh, being able to be humble and still, without denigrating yourself, right? Like without debasing yourself, but still being humble uh, is super hard. Yeah. To to accomplish, but if you can't accomplish it, it's. Uh, highly beneficial yeah or really everything that comes along after that because every new piece of information that you get exposed to that pertains to your struggle or your fight uh you'll be more open to it because you don't think you know everything i look at and this will be good for the fbi monitoring monitoring my channel but i look at everything like going into ghost recon i'm just like okay, it's going to take time, but I'm going to sweep through all of this. And to anyone else, it's going to be like, this retard truly does not understand this game. He's been playing it for 200 hours and he's at 0% completion. I guess there's something wrong. And then the next morning, I'll be at 100%. That's, I really do try to go into most things in life where I'm like, slow, steady. Mm -hmm. I just take note of everything. 
Okay, I need this to get that. I need that to get that. Move that here, okay? And then when you're ready to go, you can just take the map in a night. And it is a humility, but there's also nothing more exhilarating than when it's just like, when I do that, when I complete that last, that last, uh, that last area of the map, and then you're like, it, then I put on the bail face, and it's like, now we eviscerate everyone. <laughs> you're just, you move, th- you truly move through, move through like a cloak of death. You just have like a rack of gaming clothes with a fake mustache. Like <laughs> that's my, that's, that's my gaming clothes. <laughs> That, that, that's what I do when I when I finish the last region, unlock the last You're weapon. Trying to unleash your inner Dale. I just I, I I take out like a I have like like a mahogany like like a little thing like un, with like a copper key. I unlock it. It's just like red velvet, and there's just like a, a like a plastic mustache. And I'm like, tonight we roll, <laughs> put it on, and that's when I take the whole map. But that's the way to go. Is go into a like, ghost recon, not with that, not necessarily meaning killing everybody. I mean, in yeah, theory, not, <laughs> not the violence, the, not the whole. Uh, the order of operations, though, is still sound. There you that go. Is, that is how you should do it, because when you do it that way, uh, you're you're a lot more sturdy. Yeah, you're, it's a strong foundation. So I'm getting whatever the light is that comedians get when their time is almost up. They're starting to flash the house lights at me. I'll tell hey hey Don, fuck off. Don fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. You're in my basement. I'll tell you when the lights go on and when they come off. Yeah, you're, you're in we're in Tommy's basement now. You're in my basement now, bitch. Oh, tell Don to fuck off. Um, but actually I do need to get some food. So uh let's wrap it up on six on the nose. Mr. John Clark, love to have you on again sometime, buddy. I'll text you when it's up. It'll be up later this evening or whatever the fuck and uh i love you my friend thank you for coming on that was a thank you for opening up that was that was that was definitely one of my fucking favorite episodes i say that a lot but that was that was fuck yeah that was rock solid that was we both had our tootsie roll rapes yeah cheers to tootsie roll rape man cheers to tootsie roll rape and uh there'll be many more as long as you're not a veg about it yeah as long as as you're not a fucking faggot and just accept my love it'll all be okay (laughs) Just accept it, man. It's just, all good. Just, I'll fuck you till you love me, faggot. <laughs> I'll fucking I'll eat your children. I'll bite your fucking ears off. All right, man. <laughs> I'll text it to you when it's up. It'll be up in like yeah, an hour right. or two. God all bless. Right. God.